I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice. Tumbling down the rabbit hole. Hmm? You could say that. And welcome to another episode of the Wisdom Experience podcast with me, Naomi Martel Bundock, and and Clay Lowe here again in the house, <laughs> my co-host. Um, if you've listened to us before, you will know this podcast is for people who are interested in personal development. In should we say a bigger perspective? Uh, we want people who are looking for an engaging conversation and are happy to be stimulated by listening in with us and then maybe joining in with the conversation offline later. Um, We really hope that by coming along with our conversation and our chat, then hopefully you will feel enriched just through participating um, at the very least. But who knows, you might even take some action as a result. So today we are going to talk about myth we are actually talking specifically we want to explore mythic imagination and ideally how to use it in everyday life now this podcast is not a practical how-to so it's very much about something this is a topic we want to explore and discuss and set off ideas and start to get creative and anything to do with mythic imagination well it's really going to tap into your creativity so Clay, I'm going to hand over to you to take us into this. Um, well, so mythic imagination, as you as you kind of get into it, and I guess it's kind of thinking about what it's, its use and what kind of led me kind of here to this discussion. I think on one of the podcasts we had, we were we were somehow Joseph Campbell's name probably came up in that. Uh, and talking about the hero's journey. And one of the things that interests me about mythic imagination is about how do we how do we reconnect with, you know, this podcast is called Wisdom Experience. How do we re- reconnect with our inner wisdom? How do we bring our environment, the things around us, back alive again? How do we reignite our greatest tool which is arguably our imagination um i think we've moved into a space and time in history where we kind of switched over to the whole sort of science and reason um and everything became very and you mentioned the word just a little bit ago very practical um and we've kind of cut off one of our most powerful tools as which is our imagination einstein said that Imagination is greater than knowledge. Um, And mythic imagination is a way of, as a tool, it's a way of re-utilizing or energizing your um, imagination to enliven your life. Um, And this deals on myths, it deals on the imagination deals on sort of fairy tales. It deals on stories because we are a storytelling animal. Um, it's how we learn. It's, it's the thing that makes us the human. Um, and, yeah, that's why I wanted to kind of get into this topic, basically. So in terms of, of myths, almost where it is a where do we start I mean you know we can talk about ancient Greeks we can talk about uh stories from the bible would you say they were myths um how kind of on a in a sort of modern day today where where do we start with them well you just start with what you just said I mean it's just myths I mean I think the thing with myths is that we think now the terminology myths it tends to be about made up but in our shaping of our history and even if you just you know I'm saying myths because myths usually have um this connotation of being complex with um knowledge of of collective knowledge if you think about you know back in the days you mentioned the Greeks and 
how does thunder work? We got the thunder god, Zeus, you know, he's making the thunder. You got the fire god, you got Prometheus. So we had all these names for these various different things that um, helped us with our everyday life, but we personified them um, within in, in nature, um, inanimate objects, spirits, um, gods, angels. I mean, we personified all these various different forces that psychologists would tell you are makeups of our inner representative of our inner nature, our inner self, our psyche, our psychology, which is where a lot of this stuff all um, all comes back to, as we're going to discuss. I mean, it's big in the sort of, you know, Jung was huge into archetypes, which is, a, again, another form of, here's a collective body of stories that help us to be human. So if you got the archetype of, um, you know, the, the warrior, what is the arc, what is that? The archetype of the mother. And so there's collective stories that help us to be who we are, help us to understand, um, our world. Um, the Bible, as you kind of mentioned there would be, some would say it's literal. Others would say, um, again, it's made up of stories that again, help us to, um, live a more moral life. Um, so you take them as metaphors, you take them as stories to help you to uh, process um, your life. I mean, stories themselves, I mean, we can't live without stories. Just think about how many stories you encounter on a day-to-day basis. Think of all the stories going on in your head right now. You just told me a load of stories just before we hit record. And I know we kind of think of, you know, is it a fiction story or a nonfiction story? It's still a, it's a story. It's how we live. It's how we process. It's how I understand you. It's how you understand me. It's how we understand ourselves. I think when we begin to try to separate ourselves from that because we're evolved rational humans and stories are just make-believe things um, that we take away some of their power but just think how your day you couldn't get through your day without stories storytelling and i think probably useful to try and share a little bit when we were talking about the stories that were kind of inside our heads so the story inside of your head when you wake up in the morning might be i've got so much to do today how am i ever going to get it done or um I need to go to the supermarket and I want to make sure that I'm getting really healthy food, which uh, for me means fruit and vegetables, but for somebody else might mean something that's quick and easy to make. Are those the kind of stories that you mean in our heads? Well, yes. And I'm thinking more about what you believe about yourself as well. So I'm sure you probably will say things like, you know, um, I'm no good at maths, for instance. That's a very simple one. Numbers is just not my thing. So you have this whole story this whole mythology built around why you are not good at math and you reinforce that story over and over and over as soon as you see some numbers oh yeah, yeah i'm not i'm not good at math so you reinforce your own personal mythology your own personal stories you reinforce so if you just think about anything that you believe anything doesn't matter you have a story around that belief that collect that belief that you have you created a story around it now, that doesn't mean the story is true, um, but it's true to you, and so therefore it's real to you. So stories are very real, tangible things. Um, and the idea here with mythic imagination is how do you begin to utilize those stories to your benefit? So if you want to change your belief, quickest way of changing your belief is to change the story that you tell yourself. Um, and not in the, and it's got to be in a genuine way to it becomes a belief as opposed to a delusion. I'll just tell myself this story, then it'll just go away. Um, but you don't actually believe it. You're just saying the words, but you don't believe. Um, when something becomes a belief, you no longer question it anymore. So the story that you change, that you make up, that you switch has to be told over and over and over to yourself to it becomes a belief to you no longer question it. What's a belief that you hold? Anyone, just pick a belief. Well, actually, let's go with I'm not good at maths because, you know, I, I know that I can do basic stuff um, and I can kind of, you know, 
the, the way I work it is, right, can I manage my money on a day-to-day basis? And, and the, the short answer is yes, I can. Can I do anything more complex? Can I look at an Excel spreadsheet and use it the way it's meant to be used? Uh-uh. You know, and and consequently, and it's interesting as you're saying about it's a belief that you've got, it's a story you've got. I'm thinking, yeah, that's really interesting. And now I avoid anything or I find a workaround rather than learning how to use Excel or rather than ha- improving my maths ability, which I'm more than capable of doing, I will find a workaround. Let me ask you, I mean, that's a, that's a, how do you know that the world is round? Oh, great question. Um, it's, it's a good point. I, I, I suppose I believe it because it's, uh, it's, it's, is the word, it's like a collective awareness because there's nothing either scientifically or intuitively that tells me that the world isn't round. Um, so it's something I, Kind well, of just and so how do you know just because someone told you that it's round oh it's a good question i i, I guess so and because think and, about this think about it wasn't that long ago that we thought the world was flat that's true and we believed it the same way that we believe the sun's going to come up tomorrow it just it was flat and it took someone and then it took someone to say no it's not it's actually round and it's this and they use science and all that kind of stuff but you even have people today you're flat earthers who will still tell you that it's it's flat and they believe it wholeheartedly 100 percent. so the question you have to ask yourself is how do you know other than fact that someone at school told you some one that you hold as an authority figure on it so how do you personally know that the world is round and this is where this idea of you know, the stories, the legends, the myths that we hold as a culture, as a people, um, that you just tell and it gets retold and it becomes a, a belief. So you don't actually question. I mean, a lot of the stuff that, you know, you think about a lot of the racism issue that's quite topical right now and that's happening. And it's the stories that get told that as a kid. And I don't know if I was relating, I was probably talking to someone else and I was talking about, you know, at my a family reunion that I went to like years and years ago when my kids were very young and I was listening to the adults speak around these kids and it was all very um, negative, racist kind of language. And I was thinking, well, I, I wouldn't want to expose my kids to this. because, mm-hmm. And then all the kids that are here, all they're hearing is all the people that they look up to mm-hmm. talking in that way. So how, what are they supposed to do? The kid doesn't, the kid wasn't born knowing this difference is the kids taught it. And then as they're doing family reunions, as they're interacting with the adults in their life, those stories get reinforced. Now I could understand where the stories come from because when I was at that um, family reunion, I went with my grandmother and as we were walking down her hometown, she was like, back in my day, if we were walking down here, you couldn't go down that street. Uh, we would get lunch. You couldn't go into that restaurant. So in her mind, it was very fresh of all the things that she couldn't do because of the color of her skin Mm. Uh, and the trouble she would have got in if, if she broke the rules. Um, And so I can understand where it gets lodged in people's minds there because it's very living history. You know, she was living through that. My grandmother happened to be very progressive in terms of wanting to see the world change. But again, maybe not everybody would be in that space. And if you grew up and you had that experience and it wasn't something you read in a book, it was something you lived. And then you teach your kids that, you know, this is what's going to happen if you do this. And this is what these people are like. And then you reinforce it. Then the, it, that myth or that story, or whatever we want to, we can interchange those, um, becomes a solid belief in that kid's mind. And how do you change that? Um, so... When I, yeah, I guess why I switched from math because there's so many more. Um, just, just being human, you're full of these different stories, mm-hmm. um, and how do you know any of the stories are true? At some point, you make a decision to say, okay, well, it's true for me, therefore it's going to be true, and I'm going to make decisions off of it. I'm going to base my life off of it. I'm going to teach my kids these same things. But do I have any verifiable proof that what I'm that I'm 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 
re propagating or I'm going to say regurgitating back into the world, do I actually know that it's true? How do I know that it's that it's true? Well, that is a great question. So, you, yeah, I, I personally, I guess I rely a lot on my gut reaction. So if I'm hearing something or I'm reading something, I might get an intuitive hit, uh, which may only be don't take this at face value or question this a little bit more. Um, and actually, you know, so, so that's the intuition side of things for me. But also, uh, one let, of the let me ask you this is it intuition or is it conditioning? So is it cause and effect? So, how do, if you think about the law of cause and effect, so um, the words that you're using right now is built up of a lot of causes that previous to it. You had to go to school, you had to learn English, you had to someone put all these different thoughts in your head that leads you to this very point to say, I am an intuitive person. And that's a fair point. And one I've been questioning myself recently. Um, I've also been looking very much at, at critical thinking or critical questioning. And, and you can ask questions in a very um, kind of constructed and thorough way. But you're right. How do I know that it's my, my gut feeling? Um, and if I say, well, because sometimes I just get like a, a wobble in my stomach or a kind of a flutter inside of me and it doesn't feel right. But you're absolutely right. What causes that could be all the things that I have learned. You know, I'm, I've read a lot over the years. I've talked, you know, with a lot of people. I've listened to a lot of people. Um, you and were of course, conditioned at a very, very early age. You had a mom and a dad who taught you some things and you either, you know, they would have, you know, they would have consciously taught you some things and you would have learned a bunch of other things from them unconsciously. So there's a book um, that I've been reading. It's quite interesting. It's a very short book. I think it's only like 140 something pages or whatever, but it's called The Conscious Robot. Um, and it, you know, he kind of unpicks all the programming that we've, that we've gone through so how can you even be sure that any thought that even if you think you have an original thought, how can you be even sure that it's an original thought considering all the programming that you have? And there's another guy, Charles Tart, who has a um a more heavy, harder to read uh, book. Um, but his is he goes into great detail about but he also goes through great detail on how to maybe break the program or if or if at least to reprogram yourself or start to break down um the programming that you have. Um but yeah, so in, it's just such an ingrained thing in us that it's it's quite it's quite hard. So what's what's what childhood story can you remember that helped shape who you are now? I you put me on the spot so clearly. Um So this, this is, it's not a direct story. Um, I, want a, I want a direct story, man. I want a direct story. Yeah. However, I can't think of one right well, now. I can, um, I'll give you mine so then you can think of one. Yeah, so I want you to divert me now. <laughs> and so um, a childhood story that I can remember that shaped me right now is I grew up in the inner city. I was born in Newark, New Jersey, um, inner city kind of kid and so I was all urban man I didn't see I saw trees in the park but that was about it um and then my dad got stationed at Fort Monmouth New Jersey and we moved to the suburbs so we took this city kid um, and moved him to the suburbs <laughs> um and the whole lot of things that happened to that one it took me a while to adjust to a different way of life so in the city i had this very much you know you got to be always defensive you got to you know in the neighborhood that i grew up you had to you know defend your honor in quotation marks so i fought a lot i was always into fights because that was the way to earn respect and save face and all those other sort of things so and i brought that same attitude with me to the suburbs <laughs> um but it wasn't long and I'll, I'll cut to my story story um or the the one thing that i'm remembering in my mind right now 
Um, but yeah, so you had to take the city kid and he got countryfied or suburbanized or whatever. And, and all the things I had to unlearn um, from living in the city. But one of the stories um, that shaped my life was, and it was a it was a fiction story, but it changed the course of who I am and where I go. A couple of ones, but the one I had the earliest impression on me was, a, it was a book called My Side of the Mountain. Um, and it was just a kid who ran away to the Catskill Mountains and just wanted to go and live with nature again. Now, I was a city kid, so parks was the closest thing I had to nature. Mostly it was concrete jungle. But I read that book, and where we lived at in the suburbs, there were all these woods around us. And so I started going out into the woods. You know, new world for me, exploring the woods. And there was rabbits, and there was turtles, and there was all kinds of stuff. And it was like, wow. So I kind of fell in love with, nature and that sort of sense and being an, an outdoor person. I always wanted to do what this kid did, which was go find a, he, when, when he ran away, he, um, uh, these big giant trees, like the redwood kind of trees. And he built a home and then he had a hawk to help him find his food and all this. And I was like, oh yeah. So, um, that story, um, just changed my outlook, gave me my sense of adventure. So I've always then from that point on had this desire to go out and explore the woods and mountains and um, all those kinds of things. Um, yeah, it, it, it ignited in me my sense of exploration and that, that particular, that one story. <laughs> and I have the book on my shelf here even now. Um, and then one, that was a fiction story. And then I'll tell you one from an adult who I looked up to. I probably shouldn't name who the adult is. Um, but I, as a, from, you know, I don't know, age nine-ish, I guess, or 10, I always wanted to be a, a scientist. Um, that was all I wanted to be. I had amoebas and stuff on my walls. I had chemistry set, microscope, telescope, you name it. Um, and then this person I looked up to said, yeah, you don't want to be a scientist. There's no money in being a scientist. And that just crashed my entire world. And I might have told you the story already. But that story destroyed, I say destroyed, man, that's a bit strong word. I didn't become a scientist as a result. <laughs> um, but it was because I believe this story that this person who I looked up to said. So then I had to find something else. I tried to find some way to fill a void, a big void, um, because that was such a huge part of, of my life. So that changed. Um, and I'm wondering sometimes, as I'm telling you that story, does that, because there's this idea that you keep looping through your life until you learn the lessons that you need to learn. Mm. And I was just wondering if, Whatever it was in the that was in my nature to drive me towards science and that that kind of discovery venture issue thing, um, have I not played that? Is is it? Do I keep trying to reconnect with that loop again? You know, was that a fundamental part? I mean, if if we're into nature versus nurture, or you know, destiny, or what have you. Um, if any of those stories are true, you know, was that meant to be a path? I didn't walk that path. I've been walking these other ones. And, you know, am I dissatisfied with all the different paths I walk now because I'm still in some way trying to reconnect with that path, whatever that would mean or look like? Well, potentially, mm. absolutely. And and this is, I suppose, where we almost, we can turn things around. So from a a mythic imagination point of view once we're aware of our stories as you said you know right it's kind of almost it's it's let's find a way to move your beliefs move your thoughts so that you're kind of a, on a positive story so in terms of of that and I, I know it wasn't an archetype but actually you know there's this myth that you have been told that you took as true in that you you know, scientists didn't make any money. And for whatever reason, that was enough to, to crush your dream and to stop you from working towards it. Now, if though a dream can be crushed, you can stop taking action, but it doesn't stop, let's say, the heart wanting to be there. So if we kind of turn the archetype around and say that 
scientists can make money, kind of a what actions would you now take if you're aware that that is still in your psyche? That's uh, Tony Robbins is kind of big into that when he talks about change, isn't he? He says if you if you think back to what you wanted to be as a kid, um, whatever that might have been before you got you know socialized or whatever, and you think back to the thing that you wanted to be as a kid, and it might not be that you'll be that thing, but what was it about being that mm. thing? What was it about being the scientist that would have sparked your interest? Was it natural curiosity? Was it whatever those underlying fundamental building blocks were then that's the thing that you can connect into it doesn't have to necessarily be connected to um a title itself which is um, which i think is a really good neat way of of looking at that as well absolutely it's, yeah. it's the qualities or the skills and one of the things that you and i have talked about is you know when i was growing up i wanted to be um well, originally I wanted to be a doctor um, when I was five, but then I realised that I wasn't academic enough for that. And um, and then then I wanted to be an actor. And as I got a bit older, I kind of thought, you know what, I'd really like to be a Radio 4 presenter because um, I, I love the BBC, you know. Um, but again, don't ask me why, because it is just, a, you know, it's certainly not something I've ever critically deconstructed. Um, and of course, we've talked about, doing the podcast as a, you know, because podcast is essentially modern radio. And by us doing the podcast, that is me taking the essence or the qualities, um, using the skills that I have and finding a way to be the modern equivalent of what, you know, 30 years ago would have been the Radio 4 presenter. Yeah, um, that's cool. And I was thinking about in my my little story, the different archetypes that would play out, you know, think about money and the uh, um, that collective mythology symbolism that we have around money and what that might mean to different people, different cultures, um, and what it symbolizes in the world, you know, make money, and then you can have all the nice things that you want. So it becomes a huge um, energy piece for, you know, think of people, go to work every day to earn money don't you You go you want to earn more money because more money means i can buy more things i can have better holidays i can and so there's a lot of collective mythology tied to money um so you could see where that might have been driving this one person who told me what they told me um, Mm. at the time you know they idolized money in that sense but then think of the role that that person played um if you think about joseph campbell's and the hero's journey one of the elements of that is meeting the mentor. So that person's archetype that they played in my life was one of mentor-teacher, to which, you know, as the hero going on the hero's journey, you know, you look to your mentor-teacher for guidance and wisdom, um, and then you apply that guidance or wisdom. So that person was playing perhaps a couple of archetypical roles for me um, in that space. Or... You could turn that around and say, maybe that was my, even at that young age, maybe that was my first challenge of the gods saying, boom, I'm going to throw the first obstacle down at you right now. This person's going to say this. Now, how are you going to overcome that obstacle? Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe I've been on one big, long trial and the gods are like, ah, let's keep testing him until he learns this lesson that he needs to learn. So... Um, I think there's a number of different ways to kind of, again, unpack that aspect. And I think even thinking about your story as well, if we go back to tribal, when we're more tribal, you know, is there something in our collective unconscious, which is another Jungian term there, um, of a role that you would have fulfilled within that tribal system? Like I know a tribal role that I would, definitely have fulfilled and and i do it even now it plays itself out as that of you know pathfinder the dude that goes out finds new stuff comes back but gets bored after i've after i've shared the knowledge with the tribe then i gotta go find new stuff so almost this perpetual seeker he just goes out find new stuff bring it back to the tribe go back out so i don't spend a lot of time like i'm not very community oriented in that way um, very sociable, but don't need to be 
so I don't need people. <laughs> it's a funny way to say it, but it, and not in that sense where some people need them greater than others. I I like to come and connect with them, but then go off on these great big quest treks in the mind or physical um, that divorces me from the tribe for a while. So I know that would be a role. So maybe your role would have been something that had something to do with the the communications um, aspect or storyteller within our, and that was an African griot is a, a word that they use and maybe your role was as you know storyteller within or keeper of wisdom or wise woman or one of those would have been your role um, in a sort of tribal sense and maybe that's the urge that wants to come out in you and um, so mythic imagination is about reigniting exactly that reigniting with your various parts of your self, um, both internally and externally. So if I just turn the lens externally with, on a mythic imagination aspect is, you know, you step out into nature and make nature come alive. The trees have our sentient creatures, all the bugs and the air and, you know, all these elements that are out there that you can actually engage with in your mind your imagination have conversations with there's things that you can learn from the trees and the birds and the bees and uh, i know that's a song isn't it? the birds and the bees but um you know interacting with the different spirits and um souls or essences in nature but bring them alive in your imagination i mean now most of us are probably look at a tree and it is just a tree and we've probably gotten so much so that we don't even identify the tree by its nomenclature. It's just a tree, you know, because we, we, our brains are very good at just organizing stuff and recognizing patterns that I'll walk into my back garden and it's just a tree. we got two trees in the back. You know, how many people then look at the bark of the trees, know each individual tree and what's going on with it, what kind of tree it is, you know, have conversations with the tree. I mean, we used to do those kind of things as a kid, um, but we've kind of lost or we lose touch with that, I think, as we get older and adults around us tell us that, yeah, okay, well, um, that was cool when you was a kid, <laughs> but uh, now it's time to, you know, grow up. Uh, wonderful song uh, by, was it Breakfast in America? The logical song, When I Was Young, Life Was So Wonderful. Do you know that tune? Life was so much easier than today. Um, you know, I, I know, you know the song, yeah? Yeah, I'll, we can link it in the show notes. That's a great tune because one of the lines in there, he, he used to, it was all the magic in the trees and the stuff, but then they showed him a world where he could be so responsible, logical, and all of that um, thing. So, yeah, that's what, that's what they do to us. <laughs> so the mythic imagination. Um, and one of the guys that was... A proponent in, well, there's a couple of big names when you start looking into mythic imagination. A name that'll come up a lot is a guy named James Hillman. Um, and he's an author of the book called Revisioning, Re-Visioning uh, Psychology, and also another book called The Soul's Code. And, and his big push was for this idea of reconnecting with our imagination, um, reconnecting with um, the different various parts of our inner psychology, our psyche, giving them, you know, names and identities and um, and being able to have conversations with, you know, your dark side would have a name, your anger would have a name. So all these parts of you um, have their own distinct names. Uh, they might have be male, female, whatever they might be. Um, but in order to learn more about yourself, to work on your own personal growth is about connecting with those parts, having conversations with those parts, trying to understand those um, sides of you, calling upon the different side source, you know, your inner uh, beings to help you with your resources as well. So if you are working on a problem or you need to, um, you need in, energy and focus, you know, what are the different forces within you you can call up to help you do that um even externally with the various different gods so you had you know athena goddess of wisdom you know back in the days we would have probably did an invocation to her before we would do a podcast called the wisdom experience we would have been evoking 
Athena mm. to say, you know, you know, grant us some wisdom here so that we can pass on to the tribe. Um, but it, it, it gives us a way of having a conversation with our internal and external energies, basically, to further our, our personal growth, further our understanding um, of self and others around us as well. Well, I love the idea of connecting with Athena for that very purpose. Um, and of course, what you've just said in terms of having that conversation with Athena before we go about whatever it is that we want to kind of use that, uh, let's say that focus or that energy through. Actually, when I think about um, prayer, so when I was at school, you know, we would say a prayer before we would eat. And it, it was, it's almost, there's, there's, I can't necessarily explain it, but there's definitely this link between that connection um, of, of, you know, taking in some, whether it's using your imagination or your beliefs or whatever you want to call it, because it, I think there's, it can be explained in so many ways, but it's taking that and it's using that. And so the prayer beforehand that invocation they sound really similar and the other thing actually mm. that I was thinking of when you were talking then was um f- well for our era very typical you know back in the 80s women would be wearing you know those shoulder pads in their power suits and it was a time when women were very much trying to be masculine bringing in that masculine energy but essentially what they're doing although you know, it, it was talked a lot about at the time about it being the masculine energy so that, you know, we could be equal in the boardroom and equal sort of, you know, in the law courts or wherever it happened to be. But actually what we were doing was finding them almost the, the, the powerful or the masculine part of our psyche, I suppose, to integrate with us as feminine, to behave in a way that meant that we were in our full glory. Yeah, and I mean, it, you can dissect that on a whole number of levels. If you think about um, mask, and I don't know if you look at sort of tribal mask and things that they that guys would construct to become different personas. So almost, we talk about, you know, wearing the power suit with the shoulder pads. So you were taking on physical symbols mm-hmm. of masculinity to then be in a, a male world in quotation marks, but it was almost stepping into a, a persona to then, you know, blend in or meet in or be a part of um, the ordinary world, as uh, Campbell maybe would have called it at that point in time. But just think of the, um, you know, you look at some of the sort of tribal ceremonies where they meet the face painting and they get into their different guards. But all these things, all these things that you're mentioning, they all become symbols. And these symbols have meaning. They have collective meaning they have power to them. Uh, you know, we're both married and we have the ring. The ring is 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 a symbol. Um, it's a circle, but it symbolizes something. I mean, if you think of marriage in itself, it really is. I mean, what is it really? Um, it, it's, it's a non-concept, but we created a construct and a story around it. Um, and then it's symbolized by a ring. And it just, it, it, all it is is symbolic language um, that's represented in our imaginations and takes on some other significance to it. So when we start talking about symbols and we talk about archetypes and we talk about these um, different patterns, and they, the thing that's, you know, if you really start to notice these patterns, these symbols, um, the metaphors even, just pay attention to your language as you're speaking throughout the day, think of all the metaphors that you use all day long. Listen to the metaphors that other people use. Um, And if you really unpack those metaphors, it tells you a much greater story about that person, where they might be. Um, You can tell a person is stuck sometimes by what metaphors that they use. So when someone says, I'm all tied up, for instance, just think of that metaphor. Um, and they're all tied up in knots. And in a way of helping them to, you know, get untied up, you have to use the same metaphor and help them untie um, the knots. So, I mean, there's so much to pay attention. I mean, even their clothes, 
you know, how you dress identifies you as a part of a tribe, has its own um, symbolism. You know, guys go into work in their slacks and a tie versus my Hawaiian shirts type thing and what that might mean or, you know, women coloring their hair a little bit different or wearing, you know, something that other people wouldn't wear or you got all the hipsters going back retro. I mean, our clothes tell us so much about ourselves um, and the symbology. So again, all these things, I think for the most part, they end up work. We don't question them. They just form who we are. Quotation marks. This is me. (laughs) Um, And do I... Do we question the stories that make up me, whoever me is, by the way that you dress, the way that you talk, uh, the various different objects that you have that you've given power to? Um, and what, yeah, yeah, it's so much you can learn about yourself, even just um, if you just take the journey yourself to unpack your own metaphors that you use, if you kept, you know, write down the metaphors you catch yourself using, um, you know, keep a diary of those in your thoughts and the ones that you verbalize to other people, uh, paying attention to dreams. Dreams play a big part of mythic imagination as well. If you get into this kind of work, um, the dreams that, you know, some you know psychologists will say people like Young and and uh, James Hillman and and others is that your subconscious then is communicating with you um through these dreams and these dreams are metaphors these dreams are symbols these dreams are uh, archetypal characters played out inside of your dreams so if you're looking for instructions or you're looking for help with Something um your intuition is tied into your subconscious mind. So all these things feed into that, but it's about paying attention to them consciously and um reclaiming your power in that that sense to actively use them and manipulate them even. Um because they're definitely manipulating you. So I think with mythical imagination. The idea here is that you can actually use that power in reverse instead of just being um, used by your ingrained stories, symbols, metaphors that you no longer even think about anymore, but they direct your everyday life. You start to become aware of those. You can start to redirect them, play with them, change them, use them, enhance them even more so to give you more power. Um, and to make you an even better human being from that that point of view. I think that's a really key point, actually. And you used, you know, obviously in terms of words, manipulation, power. Um, actually, you you and I are very um, conscious about not manipulating people, uh, whether that's with our language or whether it's, it's with our behaviour. We would hold ourselves to to I would say a high standard and we've got quite strong values around that so it's it's actually when we say power it's not about being uh having power over other people it's not about manipulating other people it's about using these these symbols and metaphors and stories and, and myths to have power and I, I don't even want to say over ourselves. I kind of want to say within ourselves. So it's about us understanding from deep within how we're thinking, how we're behaving, uh, and and taking that and saying, okay, actually, from within, is this who I want to be? Is this how I want to act? Is this what I want to do? And changing from within. So here's something that's interesting in terms of because you just picked up on language. Um now manipulate, what does that mean? Uh so manipulate means taking something and molding it into something else. Okay. So we've come to take manipulate to be negative. But in actual fact, the definition isn't necessarily negative. It's the converse connotation that people have given it. It's actual 
definition is to handle or control in a skillful manner is the first definition of it. And the second definition of it is control or influence um, in a, a cleverly or unscrupulous way. So it has, you know, two definitions that it can have. It has a negative connotations and um, it's become associated with, but it isn't necessarily a, a negative aspect. So the positive side of it is is handle or control something in a, in a skillful manner use operate handle so and then power is the same thing if you think about power and the definition of power um it's about the ability or the capacity to do something or act in a particular way so you have the power to act to do um Mm. or it could be um the power to or ability to direct or influence the behavior of others over the course of events and we use power all the time whether we even when you go and you say, what are we going to have for dinner tonight? And in that converse, that question, a whole lot of things get played out. Um, and we try, you know, we influence, we, well, by, every, by even if, even compromising is a way of influencing. So, you know, we're using these mechanisms all the time. Kids are good at using them without being, you know, babies know how to manipulate in quotation marks. Uh, adults, <laughs> uh, even before they can formulate language, they know how to, you know, get their, what they want or influence getting what it is that they want. So, and, and again, this is just a fascinating um, uh, subject. Um, and it's, I mean, it, and I guess I would wholly, wholeheartedly recommend people to, um, you know, to sort of dip into, into, mythic imagination or if you're into young he called it active imagination um if you're into you know something a little less heavier i guess but uses the same underlying concepts there's nlp which you and i trained in neuro-linguistic programming um is another direct way of working with some of these forces uh you could get into james hillman stuff and this these new psychologists those guys and then joseph campbell's one of my favorite mythologists uh the book called the hero of a thousand faces uh, which talks about uh the monomyth and that goes across all cultures and that one is a fascinating uh thing to to explore because you get an insight into the different myths throughout cultures and how similar that we have these various different myths, archetypes that are across all cultures. So there's always a, a creation story. There's a birthing story. Um, there's a death story in all these different societies. And they'll have different gods and um, and forces or energies or religions that make up different rituals around these things. But the underlying thing that ties us together as humans and will be the same steps. I think there's 12 steps, 12 or so stages of the hero's journey, the ordinary world, call to adventure, um, the trials, the road of trials, the belly of the well, um, getting the elixir, um, the return. So there's a there's a whole uh, journey, hence the name. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a whole journey uh, involved uh, in that process and we play that journey out each and every day um, and we don't always do it consciously but if you take that step back and watch it play itself out watch the different roles that people play in your life think of the different archetypes in any given situation that different people are playing so I guess that's another one to get familiar with is the um, various archetypes that um, that have been identified by Young and others but then learn to notice them being played out in any given situation with a group of people, two people, three people. Notice them playing out in your mind, the conversations that you have in your mind. And if you're anything like me, there's probably several voices in your head at any given time. Just notice um, what roles those different voices play, whether it's your shadow side, whether it's your helper, whether it's your... Uh, earth mother whether it's you know your father god 
one or your Christ figure. Just notice the different voices in your head and what roles that they are playing or the devil might be in there doing his thing. <laughs> so mm-hmm. even in, within our own heads, we have all these different entities, in quotation marks again, that have a stage, which is your mind, your brain. <laughs> They're playing out on this stage um, and you act out these things in real life. Um, and yeah, it just takes the stepping back and beginning to notice them. So what you're saying, uh, very simplistically, and to completely make this incredibly shallow, is uh, actually it turns out that I have a stage in my head and I am playing out on my own stage every day. So I am an actor after all. Yeah, uh, yeah. All the world's a stage, according to Shakespeare, isn't it? All the world's a stage. That's true. And each person's an actor on it. Yeah, well, exactly, exactly. I am... Um, in researching for this episode, I picked up a book called Your Mythic Journey, Finding Meaning in Your Life Through Writing and Storytelling. And it's by a guy called Sam Keen and a lady called Anne Valley Fox, which I have to say, I think is a fantastic surname. Um, Sam Keen is actually a colleague of, or was a colleague of Joseph Campbell's. And my understanding, and I haven't read the book, I've, I've got it, but I flicked through it, is that it's a way of almost helping people to understand where that you know what myths they have been um kind of running as patterns in their lives and it, it basically opens up this what what is called a hidden world of self-discovery and meaning so there's exercises in the book there's stories as well um and i i thought i'd have a little play with that but what i have noticed is every time we talk whether we're actually recording a podcast or not i always come away with about 18 things i want to do yeah uh, of course, you know, because as we've talked before, time management, I don't get to do them all, but I do have that book. And funnily enough, I picked up a, a course on Jungian archetypes because although I'm vaguely aware of them, it's a long, long time and they're not very clear in my head. And I thought they'd be quite interesting for me to follow up on. Hmm. And that kind of fitted and, and melded with things. Um, You sound like you might have a point. that. No, no, also... carry on. Carry okay, on. well, I have had a question which is the celestine prophecies mm-hmm. were they james hillman was it him that wrote those no uh red red redcliffe or radcliffe uh, redmond redfield that's it yes. so actually so the celestine prophecies i haven't read for years but they were one of well they that was the book actually i read it on honeymoon funnily enough um that made me stop in my tracks really and start to think about the world in a very different way and uh, it's a long time obviously since I've read it but the Celestine prophecies were really about different steps Mm. I think from where you are now kind of to where you'd want to be and there was one thing in particular that I, I still to this day remember and it was essentially about looking at flowers or plants and, and basically looking at a flower and I guess now I would say, you know, going into a meditative state as you look at that flower and to see essentially to to become aware of the space around that flower. Again, wording today, I would probably say the energy around that flower and how that interacts with the flower next to it or the tree or the blade of grass. And that that's the one thing that I kind of remember from that book and, and it kind of makes me think, mm, that's a book I need to find. And Yeah, no, it's good. They made a movie out of it as well. So I've read the book and the following on it. And if you watch the movie, in the scene that you just described, you do see it as energy because they can all start to see in like a gold type thing. They see the energy that field that surrounds all the different living beings and the like so you can almost detect negative energy coming off of people but you could see the flowers and the energy that's around them and how all these things are interconnected um and i think that celestine prophecy was a lot about this um where we are now in terms of there's a spiritual awakening that's happening and there's this evolution in man that we're at this point where we're evolving to our next spiritual level, really, because um, the prophecy, as it's in its title, was you know, the things were happening um, that was lining up this prophecy. And I think by attaining um, this next level of stage, which I think is the second book, isn't it, where they go into more specifics about the actual 
powers <laughs> that you obtain when you do go through this transformation. Um, yeah, so that was a, a good a good book, and I don't know if you ever read about him when he was writing it and how he went about writing it and going out into the desert and sitting and connecting <laughs> with with the energy around him to help him to write the book. Um, so that was quite fascinating. I think the big thing that I liked about it was because it's very Indiana Jones ish, mm. which very much. Yeah, it was very much appeals to my adventurer in me. Um, and of course, this becomes your inner adventurer, um, as well as external adventure, isn't it? Exactly. So now I'm thinking actually how strongly this links with our Rites of Passage podcast. Um, and then I'm also thinking how presumably this like actually the Celestine Prophecy and the Indiana Jones films and so many others, obviously they're using myths, they're using stories, they, they're simplifying um, characters so that we can quickly and easily accept what we're seeing, but they're taking us on essentially a hero's journey. That's yeah. the pattern of a film or a book. Well, that's what I, happened to the hero's journey. I mean, Campbell did go in and be a part of it, but if you look at, one of the schools of, of writing, screenwriting, um, Chris Volger is one of the guys that worked with Campbell to make it more relatable to convert it to screenwriter language. Um, and that's like, so if you, if you want to digest A Hero of a Thousand Faces, it's a thick book, and I like it because it's fascinating. But if you want to read a version that helps you quickly understand the stages and steps. And Chris Volger's book on the um, the hero's journey for screenwriters um, will take you through the big steps of it and help you to, one, recognize, I miss what it was for the screenwriters, so they can take, because as I say, all of us do this journey on a day-to-day basis. Um, it's a part of our lives, this, this monomyth. Um, and so any movie that you watch, because a lot of screenwriters use this as the basis of storytelling, um, you'll be able to map out the stages of the hero's journey. So always in the beginning of a film, you see the we always meet the hero or the heroine in their ordinary world. They're just going about and they're doing their thing. So the next movie you watch, just watch it. Just watch. You get a sense of their ordinary world. And then something happens. Um, in some languages called the inciting incident, but in the uh, the Joseph, you know, the hero's journey, it's the call to adventure. So something will happen uh, that that is the call to adventure. Now the hero has two choices. He can answer the call or he can refuse the call. So some films you watch and initially the hero refuses the hmm. call. Um, but then it gets to a point where he can no longer refuse and then he has to go on it. Then they go on the trial. So then you think of the middle bit of it, all the obstacles and things that they have to go over. And somewhere in there, just as they answer the call and go over, there's always the uh, mentor figure that comes in, whether it's male or female, but there'll be someone that plays that mentor um, role. Then as the film progresses and the trials happen, there's generally a space where things seem at their worst. And the hero is either all his friends have deserted him or his mentors died or and he's all alone. <laughs> so you'll see that bit happen. Um, and then they have whatever insights that they have and then they go for it and then they win the girl, get the extra, defuse the bomb. They get the thing, uh, the elixir, as Joseph Campbell calls it, but they got to bring it back to the ordinary world to share with the world this thing. Um, but yeah, it's fascinating, um, that hero's journey, and then just watching it play out. But you're right, um, in these, the stories and things, that movies that we watch, you can watch the shadow, if we talk Jungian archetypes, you can watch the shadow being played out. You can see the warrior, you can see the alchemy, you, know, you can see all the different al- archetypes, the teacher, the martyr, uh, the mother, um, archetypes being played out in a lot of the stories, fiction and uh, real life stories, mm. you see them play themselves and of out. Course, 
actually in this day and age, and again, we've touched on this in a, a different podcast as well, it's this simplifying um, and obviously different different people, different things, but actually it's using media as in films, TV programs um, to where these these myths are still being shared. And whereas, you know, we might think, well, we're not teaching our children Greek myths anymore or not, um, or whatever it happens to be. Actually, this simplified persona or personas, I suppose, I don't know how you pronounce that, um, it, they are being shared through, you know, through the media that's freely available to our children. Uh, whether or not we're into that, we have to. I mean, that's what we, and we talk about. We, man is a storytelling animal. There's mm. no way you're getting through the day without telling the story or listening to us. You you cannot make it through the day with a, without us. Whether it's your own dreams or imagination, you're you sit there telling stories in your head. When you talk to your spouse or your kids, or your kid, we just that is us. We are stories. Um, and it's how we learn how to be human. It's how we learn how to be who we are. It's, it's how we learn other things. So while, you know, we don't learn Greek mythology, but Greek mythology, again, no collective stories of what those stories played in their society was helping them how to be human beings, helping them to figure out nature, interact with nature. Um, and we have those same things um, now. Uh, the same things are happening. Uh, and even if you say, well, I don't believe in you know, the Greek gods anymore, well, think of all the a wonderful series to watch. Um, this is by, dang it, it's called American Gods, uh, Gaiman. That's his, Neil Gaiman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, fast, and it's on, you can catch it on Amazon Prime if you have it, but the book is even more fantastic. But it's the old gods trying to stay alive in the new world but then you meet all the new gods internet's one social media is a god um there's all these you know the new gods <laughs> and they're in war with the old the old gods are trying to get people to worship them again um, and so they have a they having this big war that's going that's happening between zeus and um many of the sort of old easter bunny all these <laughs> well, yeah so all these guys are in here um, and the old gods are, yeah. So some of the gods like Jesus and the Easter Bunny and stuff like that sold out to the new gods, but the old gods are trying to get everybody back to them. So Zeus wants his power back, basically. Um, <laughs> and he's gathering up all the old gods from different cultures to try and lead a war against the new gods. Uh, but I like I like technology it was, is one of the gods. Uh, entrepreneur is one of the gods, like CEO-y types. So there's like a Steve Jobs kind of character or god. Um, there's the world. <laughs> and there's social media. She's a trip. Um, but but they are the new gods. So when we talk about, yeah, you know, we don't believe in myths anymore, like the Zeus kind of ones, we just have different gods now <laughs> that, in a sense, we won't call it worship. But if you really broke down the process, you know, we worship him as any Greek worship Zeus. Um, well, yes. <laughs> All you need to do is to take a look at your children and see how glued they are to technology, and actually some adults too. So, yes, you're absolutely right. Well, not some adults, mostly adults. Games <laughs> is a billion-dollar industry. What kid do you know has billions of dollars? What well, kid What true. kid can afford a $60 game? And it ain't that many parents necessarily buying 60-pound games for their kids. So it's a very adult industry, gaming is. Um, but yes, so it's huge. So I know that uh, obviously I'm trying to keep our episodes to around about an hour because for me that's quite important. We're coming up to the hour. Um is there anything that you'd like to kind of summarize about what we've talked about? And I will say, I think we should carry on doing this because actually I would like to delve more into um, kind of some specific myths and, and things that you could share. Um, but in terms of what we've covered so far today. Well, I think the big thing is, is just to become aware of your own personal mythology. What, if, what just think, you know, list a half a dozen of your beliefs and 
Now, where did those come from? Pay attention to your language. What metaphors that you use uh, quite often? What are the metaphors in people's language that they use when they're speaking to you? Um, you know, just begin to notice those types of things. Notice the same. Notice the stories that you tell yourself all the time, over and over to hear. Notice the stories that when you get together. As a family, that someone always tells that story about, oh, remember when Clay did this? You know, think about all those collective stories that get circulated around. Um, think about or pay attention to when you're consuming media, what's the, what things resonate with you and why. When you're watching a movie, why does that character resonate with you? Um and if you're into Lord of the Rings, watch the Lord of the Rings and ask yourself of all the characters that you see on the screen, which one resonates with you? And we were talking about connecting with your archetype that plays the most, has the most influence on you. That's a good movie to watch to figure out which one of the archetypes is most active in your life now, because it'll be the character that resonates with you the most, that has some emotional charge to you or resonates with you in some sense. So yeah, that'd be my biggest thing is just to begin to to notice these things. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Because I, I think you're right. And I, you know, it may have been something that those of us interested in personal development explored when we were younger. Um, but certainly as you kind of get into a very busy lifestyle, if you've got children, you know, and you're working, actually you can end up kind of living on autopilot. And sometimes you can miss the clues you're giving yourself you you kind of just don't have the the wherewithal sometimes to to just stop and reconnect and, and check in with who you are where you're at now and and what you need next I think that's been a, well obviously obviously I think that's been another excellent episode um and I've thoroughly enjoyed it um it's certainly something that um you know I've asked you lots of questions on over the years so uh, I'm looking forward to recording the next one, which is going to take this uh, a bit further and, and a bit deeper, hopefully. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, hopefully you like it enough to subscribe, which is what we uh, need you to do, uh, want you to do. Um, not quite sure what the right terminology is on that. And we'd love it if you would share it. If you've enjoyed what you're hearing here on the Wisdom Experience podcast, please share it with somebody else who you think might enjoy it. Um, we do this because we're really passionate about personal development and what we're sharing uh, and we'd love to reach as many people as possible yeah and we're in all the major directories anyway so you could subscribe to us on uh, apple podcast google play spotify we're on there um, and if you have your own favorite uh, podcast listener you can get our rss feed off of um, our website or indeed just subscribe to the website um, itself and then you get the episode every when does it come out when does the episode come out Tuesday. we're going to release yeah. one every Tuesday we're going to keep them to around about an hour as much as possible well Naima's <laughs> going to try to keep us to an hour and <laughs> I'm going to try and make us go over an hour I was almost successful just then because we are over an hour right now the hour so you yeah. can be um, however, can I just say for the sake of my mum, so mum, the website is www.thewisdomexperiencepodcast.co.uk and if you hop onto there and click on subscribe and then you can just go to the website and press the little play button under episodes and then you'll hear the next episode. And I know I shared that for my mum, but I'm sure there's other people who are interested who want to know exactly how to do it as simply as possible. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. <laughs>